Blog Talk Radio. of the Orange Report, and it is action-packed tonight. As always, I'm Mike in Houston, and joining me from Fort Worth, the co-host tonight, Matt. How's it going tonight up there? Going great. How are you doing, Mike? And it's awesome. I'm excited about the show. Coming on in just a few minutes, we've got Rod Babers, Longhorn Great, um, host the show on 1300 Design there in Austin, and recently, as of a few days ago, is going to be um, one of the announcers and, and co-hosting the, the game day and game day final show on the Longhorn Network. And so, man, I've got uh, pages and pages of questions I ask him and his thoughts because he's always um, got a unique perspective. And, and what I always like about Rod is he doesn't um, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells us the good, the bad, and and the ugly. So, really looking forward to him coming on in just a few minutes. And, and then about 8.30, 8.35, we're going to have Wes Scott Eberts come on from um, Burnt Orange Nation. And uh, I'm going to talk, obviously, a little more Longhorn football, probably a little expansion talk, unfortunately. And um, really going to get in with Wes Scott on the, on the, you know, the X's and the O's of the new offense, what people can look at. Uh, I know uh, Wes has spent some time uh, reviewing, you know, old Baylor film, Bowling Green, Tulsa. And it's really, you know, his articles, he's got a pretty good handle on, on what this offense um, is going to look like and what it's going to mean um, for the talent we have on campus. And and um, um, I don't know where he stands on the quarterback position, but if, if Swoops is going to be the, the guy, I'm going to need him to convince me that, that, that this offense is going to help Swoops be a good football player. Um, because if he doesn't <laughs> convince me of that, um, I, I may have to join some type of rehab group late November, um, because I, I'm just not I, – I mean, I love Flutes. I like the 18-wheeler package. Um, I, I like his, you know, everything he brings. But when the lights come on, man, he just doesn't have it. it and, and I hope he proves me wrong, and I will gladly say that uh, every week um, forever if he proves me wrong, but I just haven't seen it. So I'm uh, looking forward to the, the uh, some quarterback talk with Wes, and obviously Rod's probably going to have an a, opinion or two on that. So, well, Matt um, – College football season starts this Friday. We got Cal and, and I guess Hawaii, so we'll get to see a little bit of Cal. So, um, you know, just kind of give us your take on, on what you're looking forward to early in the um, college football season. Sure thing, yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen some stuff online, people throwing around. Uh, I think ESPN is actually hyping this opening weekend as the greatest opening weekend ever. Uh, I know some of our friends are very annoyed by that constant uh, 
hyperbole about things always being the greatest ever. I don't know if it's the greatest weekend ever, uh, but it's pretty chock full of excitement. Um, I think everybody knows, obviously, our game being moved to Sunday is nice because for those of us that tailgate, uh, we'll have a full day Saturday uh, without having to man the smoker or man the beer cooler to uh, watch it all. And uh, it's the awesome part of it is that the way things are spread out throughout the weekend, uh, I mean, I, I believe Kansas State-Stanford uh, Friday night is a nice little appetizer for full day Saturday. Don't sleep on the wizard. And uh, then Saturday it starts off early with OU-Houston at 11 a.m., 2.30, we got uh, UCLA and the Aggies, and uh, we've got, of course, LSU and Wisconsin. And then, of course, we've got USC, Alabama at night, Clemson, Auburn. I just I love the fact that these guys are jumping right in in week one and having these matchups. We pay for it a little bit later. Uh, I think week two is pretty lean when it comes to games, but uh, yeah, I think week, it's super week, exciting. Week, yeah, week two is, is horrible. But, yeah, you know, I hate to give OU any credit, but, you know, uh, you know, probably when they scheduled, you know, U of H um, years ago, they scheduled so they didn't know that U of H was going to be a decent team. But uh, I do credit them for stepping out there and, and, and doing the home and home with Ohio State. Um, so um, you know, uh, you know, and like us playing Notre Dame, you know, I'm, we're slowly seeing people move away from the the cupcake Baylor type schedules. But you know, we're going to talk more about this scheduling in a little bit. The rods on the line, and I don't want to. Um, don't want to keep him waiting. So without further ado, Longhorn Nation, um, it is our pleasure to have again on the Orange Report, Longhorn great Rod Babers hosts the um, zone on 1300 AM in Austin. And a big congratulations because now he is going to be part of the great Longhorn Network team, um, pregame, postgame. And I know he is going to be a great addition to that show. Rod, welcome back to the Orange Report with Mike and Matt. Hey guys, I really appreciate you having me. Always be good. Always good to talk with them. Well, you know, before we jump into to, to Texas stuff, um, kind of give us your where, where your thoughts on on a couple topics. One, Big Twelve expansion, uh, and then from there, the overall outlook on how you see the Big Twelve playing out this year. Because I mean, obviously, OU's the favorite. And some of us, some people have Texas as a dark horse. Baylor's still got some talent, even after their debacle. So what are your thoughts on those things? Yeah, I mean, the Big 12 expansion uh, conversation, feels like we've been having it forever. You know, what I thought was most compelling <laughs> is that, you know, they, they went from, you know, the, the, the message that they were good with 10 teams, that they did not need to expand, the one true champion, all of that. And literally within, I don't know, uh, probably less than a year, maybe a couple of months, they totally changed their tune and decided they had to expand. And then they laid out the list of possible candidates. I think now it's up to, I don't know, 18 or 19. Uh, Texas State, I think, is throwing his name in the mix or something like that. I don't know. It's just insane all over the place. It's getting crazy. And so what happened? What, I, I always try to think about, like, what changed. And I think the, the Baylor scandal was, I think it was that impactful. Either, you know, they could be doing it just as a, you know, a, a cover-up so that people quit talking about the Baylor scandal, or maybe they're anticipating, kind of like me, that Baylor could potentially fall back to the dark ages 
that Baylor, one of the few schools that was able to prop up the Big 12 as kind of a mid-major like TCU, that maybe they would lose some of that luster and therefore make the Big 12 even less relevant among the Power 5 schools. And I think that's why they said, hey, man, remember we got to get a U of H, another mid-major, a BYU, to help prop up some of the uh, the actual you know, relevance of the conference as well as the competitiveness of the conference overall. So I, I think Baylor played a huge role in expansion. How else do you explain going from no, we don't need to expand to one day everybody on board for expansion or at least the Big 12 commissioners on board for expansion? I, I think Baylor was the only thing that I can point to that changed and may have completely changed the dynamic of yeah, that, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the I don't think the ramifications are, are going to be fully felt um, from the Baylor thing for some time. I mean, not only is the conference, but I think Baylor, like you said, um, they could be headed back to where they were uh, years ago um, because that. Me and Matt talked a lot about that um, last week. Well, let me talk about the quarterback position because I mean that's obviously the hot topic, and we'll get into specifically with uh, Bouchel and Swoops, but you know. Uh, I have I have been um, complimentary of Charlie Strong on some a lot of topics, recruiting, the way he finished. But I've also been, I guess, somewhat critical. And an area that I have to be critical on is um, is where we are still at the quarterback position. I know he takes over, you know, after Mac Brown. Hurd was already committed, um, so we didn't really. Uh, I know we had limited time in that class, but he really didn't go after another quarterback. Um, so Hurd's now a, a wide receiver, our, our, our you know recruit from three years ago. He goes out yeah. the next class, 2014 class or 15 class. He gets Kay Loxley, who everybody thought was a receiver. We flip him from FSU and now reports this week that it looks like he's going to play receiver. So our last two yeah. quarterback recruits are now wide receivers. And, and I think Bouchelle is the future. But here we are, year seven, eight in a row with no quarterback ready to, to step into big-time play, and we've got Swoop. So like I was just telling Matt, uh, if Swoops is going to be the guy, uh, I'm going to have to have somebody talk me off the ledge because I just don't think Swoops – I think Strong may not be our coach in November if, if Swoops plays more than 20 snaps a game. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, oh, man, it's, there's a lot to chew on, right? It's a lot of meat on that phone. <laughs> I, I, guys, I, I think it is just it, – it, the fact that coaches don't understand at this point after looking at the uh, the college football landscape – and the college, uh, the quarterback transfer market in college, that basically if you're the quarterback on campus that's not playing or not starting, he's unhappy and maybe looking to transfer elsewhere. That's just the reality. Uh-huh. I mean, look at Texas Tech and look at look at Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, how many quarterbacks have he had transfer? Uh, look at Texas A&M. How many quarterbacks have they had transfer? We're going to play against two transfer quarterbacks, Kenny Hill at TCU and Davis Webb at Cal, um, that have transferred, you know, from schools in the state of Texas alone. You can never have too many quarterbacks. And one thing I'm critical of Charlie about is, you know, even the Sam Ellinger uh, commitment, and I, I believe the coaches said they, they weren't going to recruit any of the quarterbacks in 2017 because they had Sam Ellinger. Man, that's the same type of mentality that got Matt Brown in trouble. When he was like, oh, no, I'm uh-huh. going to recruit uh, Gary Gilbert is the only guy we need in this class. And there's kind of a domino effect. When you ignore the quarterback position, when you approach it in an irresponsible fashion, I think you end up paying for it later. And I think 
Charlie Strong has yet to really kind of solidify that position. I agree, Shane Bouchel is the future, but right now we don't know how many games Shane Bouchel could end up starting. I'm going to knock on wood here, but he's very frail. He's just a true freshman. We saw that with Gerard Hurd last year. Uh, and, and so it's, it's very interesting that, you know, Tyrone Swoops continues to surface in the quarterback conversation. And I think that's why guys symbolically, and you just said it, he represents the quarterback hell that Longhorn fans have been witnessing the last five years. And that's why they don't want to see him out there. Shane Bouchelle represents hope. And that's why Longhorn fans, they want to see hope. And I agree, Charlie Strong is going to lose the public relations battle if he tries out Tyrone Swoops out there because he's going to take away hope from Longhorn fans, which is what Shane Bouchelle represents. But you know, Sterling Gilbert, listen, he's got a big role in this, right? Sterling Gilbert knows that he needs the best quarterback possible uh, to be compatible with his offense and his philosophy to give him the best chance for success. This is Sterling Gilbert's shot to be the next Tom Herman, guys. He turns around Texas or is responsible for turning around this offense. So, man, he'll be able to, you know, get any job he wants to in the next three or four years. This is his chance. This is his opportunity. So, I, I think I don't think he's going to go down um, quietly if Charlie Strong wants Tyrone Soup. Not saying that's the case. But I'm saying if, if Tyrone Swoops is truly the quarterback, and I don't think he is, I think it's Shane Bouchelle, but whoever the quarterback is, Sterling Gilbert's choosing that guy too. I mean, Sterling Gilbert came in as an unbiased, par- unbiased party, didn't really you know, know the sins of you know, Tyrone Swoops back in the day, but that he came in and said, man, Swoops is the best guy for this job, or Shane Bouchelle the best guy for this job. So, I, you know, that's something else that you've got to keep, uh, keep in Keep in mind when you're talking about this quarterback competition. But I, just me personally, guys, and everything that I've heard behind the Burners curtain, I think it is Shane Bouchelle. I think all this stuff about Tyrone Sloop that we're hearing in the last two weeks, just me, I think it's a smokescreen. I think Charlie Strong is in the art of war type of thing, and I think he doesn't want anybody to know what he's going to do, and most importantly, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. And he doesn't want them preparing for one scenario. He wants to prepare for as many scenarios as possible. I think it's more about misinformation out there, and so everybody can be guessing, which is what we're doing right now. I, everything we've heard up to this point is that Shane Bouchelle was winning that job, and all of a sudden Tyrone Sewell's become Michael Vick randomly in this offense in the last two weeks. I'm not buying it, guys. I'm not buying it. And Charlie Strong, think about it. He's going to try out Tyrone Swoops three, basically three years in a row as a starting quarterback. I, I think it would be a public relations nightmare. The Lowland fans, if it goes bad, turn on Charlie Strong, I believe, quickly, very quickly, if that was the case. Well, yeah, and, and I agree. And, and I always, you know, preface this, you know, I, I like Swoops. I think, man, when he, in the, he worked hard in the offseason. I think the 18-wheeler package is the perfect situation for him. He can come in. Uh, for, I mean, he's a big kid. His arm is strong. But for whatever reason, it has not, you know, transpired at this level um, from where he was. And, I, you know, one, he, we shouldn't have blown his red shirt. That was a mistake. I mean, and, you know, he's had three or four offensive coordinators in three years. So a lot of his undoing is not his fault. Some of it is a skill set. Some of it is just he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But you are absolutely correct. For me as a fan, I can be sitting in DKR, uh, you know, that next Sunday after next and, 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 and know that, you know, Bouchelle's out there. He's the future. He throws an interception. I can live with it knowing that he's a true freshman. And I think most fans can be okay with that and then, you know, bring Swoops in, you know, as a situational player with his 18-wheeler package. 
but yeah, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very volatile if he throws swoops out there a starter, and we have a three and out, and then Notre Dame scores, swoops comes right out, and we get a pick six or a sack and a fumble, and we're down fourteen nothing. Woo, it could go bad really quick. Yeah, and I, I and not that Charlie Strong is worried about you know the, the the fans and what they think and the public relations aspect of it, but I'm talking to the fans as I do, and you guys know talking to all the fans out there. I can't find a Swoops advocate. I can't find anybody who who wants to see Tyrone Swoops. Who's like, you know what? He, I, I think he's going to be good as a starter. I think that Charlie Strong should make him the starting quarterback. He's argued. I can't find those Longhorn fans, which makes me think that if uh, you know Charlie Strong decides to throw in Tyrone Swoops, you know you could you could get some very very uh, angry fans in there if it goes bad. But if it, if it goes well. I think Charlie Strong, hey, man, we'll admire him for making the tough choice. And it's interesting, guys, that isn't it interesting that Charlie Strong right now is going to get more patience with the fans if he plays a true freshman quarterback over playing Tyrone Swoops, a senior. It's almost like it's a riskier proposition to play the senior quarterback, Tyrone Swoops. So it's very interesting how everything's working out. I think the Longhorn fans feel symbolically – Tyrone Sousa is just, he represents the old uh, guard in what, the last five years, and Longhorn fans want to move forward, and that's, that's Shane Bouchard. Absolutely. Hey, Matt, go ahead and jump in, man. Yeah, I mean, just uh, one quick follow-up on that. I mean, I just remember, you know, when we played Ohio State in 06 and Austin, and, you know, we got our, we were competitive in the game, but we basically got our tails swatted, what, 24 to 7. But I remember walking out of there thinking, you know, it's not that bad because this Colt McCoy kid looks like he showed a little something. He's obviously got a long way to go, but he might be something someday. And I think Texas fans, nobody wants to lose 24 to 7, but if you walked out of there losing 24 to 7 and Bouchelle pulled a Colt McCoy versus Ohio State, I think everybody would feel okay. If you pull if you lose 24 to 7 and Bouchelle only gets a couple of series and you really rolled with swoops, then I think people would be like, you know, oh, God, the sky is falling. So it's really interesting, the perspective of the exact same outcome, depending on how young the quarterback is and what you think his ceiling is. But, um, hey, Rod, I, I want to – I know as a former cornerback, you don't want to talk about all this offense stuff. Let's talk about <laughs> So uh, I know that depth on the D-line and uh, – you know, that's been a question, but I know that in some of the practice reports I've read, sounds like we got some of the young guys that are making some noise against an improving offensive line. But I just wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit on the defensive side of the ball and guys that might uh, make an immediate impact against Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. That, you know, everybody talks about, uh, the, at the, I guess, the weakness of this defense is supposed to be the defensive line. Um, but Charlie Strong's got a lot of bodies to throw at that. If that is a weakness to throw at it, he's got to, he's got to find out which of his guys or uh, you know his war daddies, which one of his guys are the best you know penetrators he can use on third down and pad third long pass rush situations. Which one of his guys are his best run stops? He doesn't really know that just to the end seen a lot of these guys in action. You know, you got Tom Boyd, you know, you got Quinn Ford up front. Uh, you know, Nation Hughes is a uh, pass rusher. Everybody's hoping he can kind of become, uh, you know, that very day week a pass rusher at the box end. But we don't really know yet. Uh, we don't really know about Charles Aminahu, but he looks the part. I mean, what's that, like 6'6"? Six, six, I mean, 250, I mean, he looks the part. Uh, and that's nothing people talk about with this defense, with this team. 
that they've been doing a lot of work in the offseason, and they've looked like a better football team uh, when you see them, the physicality of these guys, the, uh, you know, the, the muscle tone. They look like a bigger, faster, stronger football team than they did last year. Um, but getting back to the D-line, you know, I think the strength of this defense is going to be the back seven. I mean, it's going to be the secondary and the linebacking core. And I've been hearing amazing things about Anthony Willer and been hearing great things, of course, about Malik Jefferson. Those two guys and how they work together in tandem, I think it's going to be key for this defense. They're going to be able to fill a lot of nickel situations in the Big 12. They're probably going to play nickel. I'm saying around 75, 80% of the time, uh, depending on what kind of packages they want to have on defense, whether they want to go to a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5. I don't know what fans will do there, but they're going to be a nickel a lot. You're going to have linebackers working in space, and that's where Malik Jefferson and that speed comes into play. So I, and also I want to see them move Malik Jefferson around. I think that's something they'll do. Um, I think that Every offense is going to be keying on 46. Every offense is going to know where he is every snap and to, to try to neutralize him. And I think you move him around more. I think that's going to be key because put him in space and allow him to go make plays, which he does any time you can put him at the point of attack. And the, the, the key to this defense and why it's going to be better, and we know last year they struggled in third down, right? They're one of the worst third down teams, uh, third down defenses in the country, one of the worst red zone defenses in the country. Now they're going to be able to play more man-to-man. Fans are going to trust these defensive backs, something he didn't do last year. He put them in a lot of zone situations, didn't trust these young defensive backs to match up man-to-man. This time he's going to let Houghton Hill, Devontae Davis, match up man-to-man. You know you got Chris Boyd out there too. Uh, P.J. Locke in the slot maybe. Uh, the safeties, I think, are going to get more athletic. But he's had playing guys like Deshaun Elliott once they start playing. Uh, once you start playing guys like Brandon Jones, I think they're going to get more athletic uh, in safety position, and they're going to be able to play more man-to-man, which allows you to get more numbers to stop the run and more numbers to pass rush, and that's something that's going to help this team get more sacks, get more tackles for loss, and also help that rush defense, which was one of the worst rush defenses in the history of Texas football. So there are a lot of reasons the defense is going to improve. I mean, I can go through five or six more. I think the number one schematic reason they're going to improve is because now they can play more man-to-man. And in the Big 12, nobody, I think, has the the horses across the board to play man-to-man other than Texas, Oklahoma, a few other schools that can recruit that kind of talent. Texas is one of those schools. That's the, that's one of the keys to DBU. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. Um, I, I think that that's exactly why our defense is going to be better is we're going to be able to just man up. And, yeah, we're, we're going to get beat over the top here and there, but it's also going to allow, uh, you know, to disguise some coverages. We're going to be able to probably get the leak outside on some blitzes. And, you know, like I said, we're going to be able to do some different things because, again, like you said, that trust um, that Van and Charlie is going to have for the defensive backs. I mean, the Davis kid I think is a future NFL player. I mean, I mean, we've got several back there, but that's one That's one that I really like his. You know, and it's a kid a lot of people don't know about because he's not a big social media guy. He doesn't talk a lot. But, I mean, um, get to know the Davis kid because um, he is a big-time defensive back back there. You're going to see him make a lot of plays this year. Yeah, he, um, I, I love He's a shutdown corner guy. I know we, we have a lot of great defensive backs. So, Quandre, most recently great defensive back on the 48, you know, Kenny Vaccaro, uh, Aaron Williams. I mean, I can go on and on. But – 
Beer shutdown corner is different. I can't remember the last shut. Sh- I was in the shutdown corner kind of category. Quit Jammer was considered like a shutdown corner. I mean, those guys are rare. I don't even know if he has great ball skills. I think Colby Hill has better ball skills than Devontae Davis. But uh, apparently the, the coaches across the Big 12, they are scared essentially to throw in Devontae Davis' direction. That's how much he's had guys locked down. Uh, so, I, you know, I think Colby Hill may have better ball skills overall, but there's no question about the lockdown corner right now on this team. It's Devontae Davis. And having a lockdown corner, a guy that you don't have to give help to on any given down or start trusting to go zero coverage, I cannot tell you what a luxury that is for a defensive coordinator, guys. I mean, that is going to allow Vance right there to be able to get the numbers advantage, not only in coverage, but also with some of those exotic blitz packages. You know, talking about Sterling Gilbert and, and the new offense, uh, you know, I think a lot of Longhorn fans are, are, are pretty excited to, to see what he's going to bring to the table. And I know he has to be excited now to have an extra, you know, you know, heard, you know, obviously it didn't work out at quarterback for, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, I still think in the right system, right circumstance, he could be a very, a very, you know, very good quarterback because of his elite quickness and speed. But what do you think yeah. we're going to see with him at the wide receiver position? And I, I applaud Gerard for, for embracing it. And, and I think we're going to have something special there. I think we're going to see some jet sweeps. We're going to see some inside stuff. And he's the type of player, as we saw last year with his legs, he's probably going to take a five- or six-yard um, pass and be able to go 80-something yards. So um, I'm excited to see what Gerard's going to bring in the offense at the receiver position. It, you know, what? it reminds me of uh, the 2010 national title, Texas Alabama. And the 2009 national title, Texas Alabama, in the 2010 year. And I remember Nick Saban uh, in one of the, uh, the, the press conferences before the game addressing the media. He was talking about, you know, the Texas offense and the threats. And he brought up, uh, he brought up DJ Monroe and he brought up Marquise Goodwin. And he actually referred to them by number and not by name, just like a coach. Um, and he kept saying, no, nah, those are guys we got to watch. we got to watch those guys because those guys can beat us. Um, in one play, you know what I mean? We got to make up. We can't give up the big play to those guys. And, he, he, and you can tell his face changed when he talked about DJ Monroe and Marquise Goodwin. And what I think it was, guys, I think that every coach uh, fears that some guys can some guys can move the chains offensively, and some guys they change the game offensively uh, with their playmaking ability, with their big play ability. You could argue that Gerard Hurd is the most explosive player on offense for Texas. Um, and why waste that ability? And I think it's fantastic what he's doing. Now, first of all, I was just talking about the quarterback transfer market. Hey, it keeps that keeps that guy engaged. It keeps him emotionally invested in his team. Um, and I think it's similar to what Ohio State did, right? When they had Cardinal Jones, James Barry, and Bradley Miller. You know, it gives Gerard Hurd now a better avenue to make it to the NFL, like a Brad or Terrell Pryor and Gerard Robinson. And, you know, I think I, I just think it gets so many advantages to it. You know, now we've got a lot of injuries at wide receiver. Uh, Reggie Hemphill, Monty Foreman, Renzo Joe, that guy's transferred, Andre McNeil, Ryan Newsom. I mean, it seems like now Gerard Hurst is going to be running with the second team. Um, at the wide receiver position. So, man, I think it is uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a good move. I expect him to make a lot of plays. This is a conference that, you know, like Bill Walsh, is built on the explosive play, guys. Uh, I'll give you a real quick stat. The last, uh, the last six years, the team that has won the Big 12 has finished first or second in plays of at least 10 or 20 yards from scrimmage four out of the last six years. Uh, that's for the 
Big 12 mm-hmm. champion. So this, 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 this league is built on teams that are explosive like that. Gerard Hurst helps Texas be more explosive. Well, Rob, before we let you go, uh, I know there's a lot of variables. We don't know what the quarterback position is going to be. But I guess, you know, I agree with some points you made. When I've seen the team on Longhorn Network, the practices, I mean, we looked apart. We looked bigger. We got more length. We've got more speed. I mean, we're, we're starting to look like what a Longhorn football team, like I said, we, we're, we're, we're passing the eyeball test again. Uh, now yeah. we've got to pass the on-field test. So how do, how do you see this season playing out? I mean, if some people got us at 6-6. Six and six, uh, I'm about eight and four, nine and three. Uh, anything less than that, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be extremely disappointed. Uh, but how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I mean, I got guys. I got a eight and four, um, and I'm with you. I think it could be. I can feel steel. I talk to feel steel. Feel steel that Texas should win. It should be nine and three. It should be a nine win team. He says that he got him as his most improved team of you know of, of the season. So I believe it's number one most improved team of the season is Phil Steele. I just saw that, I believe it's Stuart Mandel of Fox Sports. He had Texas 8-4. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit says they're a sleeper to win the Big 12. You know, so there's a lot of people out there. Tom Bougainville is another one. There's a lot of people that like Texas. I got to make for them. I think that's realistic, guys. I really do believe that's realistic. With this new offense, if Sterling Gilbert is as good as advertised, and I think that Texas can score maybe, I don't know, eight to ten more points a game. I believe that alone, with the improvements on defense, will get to And, and, and that's what he does. Uh, Charlie Strong has a kicker now. And uh, Michael Dixon is one year older at, at punter. That punter field position, that's going to help Texas a lot on defense. They'll be they'll be exponentially improved on special teams because you'll have guys, uh, you know, that are just some of those recruits from 15 and 16 who will just be getting reps in, athletic linebackers, GB, those are more athletic, more physical, faster on special teams. So I got Texas A4. I don't think that's a homer pick, but some people are going to accuse me of that being homerism. I think that's realistic for Charlie. And I'll say this, no matter who's the quarterback, guys, they should be a four, considering those two running backs in the backfield who we have not even talked about, and assume that those two beasts are going to be uh, the focal point of this offense. Deontay Foreman averaging over seven yards a carry. Chris Warren averaging over six yards a carry. That is going to be the focal point of the offense. Hell, I can go out there and hand off to those guys. And I think we got a top ten running game. That should be good enough for an four season. Well, Rod, as always, man, we really appreciate it. Um, Man, I'm really excited. Congratulations again on your Longhorn Network gig. I think you're going to be awesome there. I'm looking forward to seeing that. We'll definitely have you on at our tailgate outside um, DKR before we head into the stadium, man. We really appreciate you coming on. You've always – you've never told me no every time I've asked, and, I mean, uh, nothing but love for you, brother. Hey, man, you know I got nothing but love for you guys. It's always good talking to family. Anytime you need anything, brother, you hit me up. I got you guys. I appreciate you, Rod. Um, have a great evening, All right. man. All right. Thanks, Rod. Take care. All right. All right. Rod Babers, Longhorn great. Uh, you know, I hate to say this, but he is probably my favorite guest. Like I said, man, any time I've ever asked him for a favor, done any there, he has always um, stepped right up, and we definitely appreciate it, Matt. And, um, I mean, he, 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 brings, he brings the wood, doesn't he, Matt? Every time, without a doubt. I don't think we've ever gotten uh, Rod at half speed. It's always full bore, and that's the way we like it. And I think he had really great uh, takes, I think, going all the way back to the comments about uh, Big 12 expansion in Baylor and then talking about the team as well. I think uh, 
I mean, there's a there's a reason why he's up and coming in the uh, in the analyst world because he always brings a brings great insight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be uh, fun to watch at the Longhorn Network, and, and and like I said, I mean, he's you know when when the team has done something well, he'll tell you, and and when a player or, or a coach is not performing how he thinks they ought to be performing, um, he doesn't. Um, you know, he doesn't hold anything back on that either, and that's, that's what I respect. He, he's real with it. And, and I, and I yep. think eight and four is, is, is a reasonable pick. That's about where I'm at. I mean, but, you know, you don't know about injuries and different things. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we went ten and two. Um, you know, some things fell right. But, I mean, but on, the, on the negative side of that, if, if Bouchelle starts a couple games, and what if he takes a hit and he's out for two games and – you got swoops or swoops gets hurt and then, you know, or a couple offensive linemen forming injuries. I mean, we could, we could, we could be five and seven, six and six real quick too, even though he, you know, strong has rebuilt the roster. Uh, you know, we're still not, has got as much depth as we need in certain positions. Um, so, but, uh, you know, and, and Mike, like I, Mike, I think also, say, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, one thing Texas fans need to be prepared for no matter who's quarterback, I think, based on what we know of Swoops and, and what we don't know of Bouchelle, is uh, quarterback play will be inconsistent. I mean, just get used to yeah. it because even if Bouchelle is the guy and then this all is a smokescreen and he starts all 12 games, there's going to be games where he looks like a true freshman and he's going to look yeah. bad oh, yeah. because somebody's going to throw something at him that he hasn't seen yet. And so I think that's the only thing, you know, fortunately we have the running backs because, uh, you know, that will be a help for, for any quarterback. But, it's definitely not a slam dunk either way um, with the quarterback situation. So that there's there's at least some losses hanging around there just due to that. Oh, I, 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 absolutely. I think what definitely is going to help both of them, because I think they both are going to play. Uh, I, I lean towards more what Rod says. I think Michelle is going to get most of the snaps. Um, Swoops is going to get his situational. But I, I think regardless of who's in there, there's going to be three areas that this roster – is head and shoulders over what it's been in five, six, seven years. And obviously what you said, the running backs. We've got two guys that we're going to lean on, and they're, and they're, going, to, they're going to be the, the, the heart of the offense, a power running game. Number two, our offensive line is going to be better. It's not where we need it to be yet to contend, you know, at the national level. But, I mean, it's getting close. I mean, Williams is back, Vahey. We've got a true freshman starting, uh, going to start at center who's going to be a beast. But, again, he's going to miss some blocks, too, as a true freshman. The right tackle position is still suspect. I mean, we've got DeLance coming in, Okafer. You've got Hudson in there now, some young guys that are going to be in the mix. And when they grow up, so this offensive line is very, very close to being elite. And where we are a million times better is at the wide receiver position. The receivers are going to bail out some bad throws. You've got Burt, 6'6", Colin Johnson. You've got uh, Devaney, the, the true freshman, is going to play. You've got Hurd out there. Um, Jake Oliver's coming on. Um, you know, so we've got some guys there that are 6'2", 6'4", 6'5", that, you know, are going to bounce some quarterbacks out. They're going to get – they're going to be running, probably should throw it away. They're going to throw it up, and Colin Johnson's going to be 6'6", and go up and get the ball. It otherwise would have been an interception probably last year. So, but I, like you said, though, it's going to even out. The you know, show's going to have some bad games. Swoops is going to have bad – and there's a loss or two there just because of the quarterback position. The key with this team this year – is we have to beat the teams we're supposed to beat. We can't, we can't, for me, with Charlie Strong, 
we can't have any more Iowa State games. We can't lose twenty four nothing to Iowa State, and we cannot lose fifty to seven against anybody. Uh, I don't care. I mean, we're in year three now. Those things are going to be unexcusable for me. If, if Michelle goes out there and goes sixteen of thirty and has two picks, and we lose, you know, thirty five twenty four or something. I'm more apt to excuse that, but the blowouts have got to stop, and we can't have zero Iowa stakes again. And I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to be ready to move on to, to Tom Herman or, or whoever the name surfaces. But we're, I'm going to talk more of that in a minute because um, our next guest is on, and I don't want to keep him long. I've been on here several times. Join us again from Burnt Orange Nation, Wes Scott Ebert. How's it going tonight, Wes? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How you all doing? Man, we're doing good. We just broke it down with Rod Babers. He brought a lot of good fire to the Orange Report, and I expect more of the same of you. And uh, where I want to start with you is is the Sterling Gilbert offense. Um, you know, I know you're more of an X and O's guy, and, and so, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, Swoops and Bouchelle, obviously. But uh, tell, tell me, tell other Longhorn fans, what we what we can expect in this offense? Why is this offense going to be good, and why is it different than what we've seen in the past from um, Longhorn offenses? So I guess a complete breakdown of the offense. Yeah, I think the first thing about the offense is that it's going to work at an extremely high tempo. Tempo. Uh, Baylor typically um, runs plays as many plays in the country as anyone, and um, you saw in the spring game, Shane Bouchard, I believe, got his plays off in about 11 seconds. I think ideally. Phil and Gilbert would, would like to see that a little bit closer to nine or ten seconds, and you know eventually the Longhorns will get there. Um, other than the tempo, uh, the alignment makes a big difference in this offense as well. This is an offense that plays a lot of three and four wide receiver sets, and when they do, they, they play their outside wide receivers very close to the sideline, and they play their inside wide receivers outside the hash marks, which is unusual for most teams across college football. And so one thing that that does is that that forces defenses to make a choice about whether they want to stay inside and commit numbers to the running game or play outside and commit numbers to the passing game. And one thing that Sterling Gilbert's offense can do to ensure that defenses are always wrong is to run uh, the the combination of of run-pass option plays. And so what they'll do is that they'll block for a running play. Um, A fairly typical one is inside zone or power. And then they'll either throw a bubble screen, um, a slant. Sometimes they'll, they'll run some other uh, various route combinations off of that. And, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to make an overhang defender wrong, force them to commit to the run or the pass, and, and then throw the ball where the defender isn't. Um, I think the final thing that, that's important to know about this offense is that they, they don't run very many different routes. It's pretty much outs, hitches, uh, go routes, and post routes. But they're going to put an emphasis on, on throwing vertical routes. And, and so, you know, one thing that Art Browse liked to do when he was at Baylor was put a lot of pressure on um, on safeties, for instance, if you recall back in that 2011 game, it only took him a handful of plays until he had isolated uh, Blake Gideon on one of his fast inside receivers, and, and Baylor had a long touchdown all of a sudden. Uh, so that's something that Sterling Gilbert is going to do a lot of. You're going to see guys like Gerard Hurd, uh, guys like Devin Duvernay, even uh, you know P.D. Warwick was getting a lot of love from Charlie Strong um, last weekend after the scrimmage. Uh, you're going to see those guys run a lot of a lot of vertical routes. Uh, same thing for John Bird, and that's one thing that kind of the budding track star said that he really likes about that offense. Uh, so it's going to be very aggressive. It's going to take some pressure off of the offensive line because they're going to be run blocking on a lot of passing plays. And I think it's an offense that's going to produce a lot of big plays for Texas, both in the running game 
and the passing game, um, you know, especially the Smash Brothers there, stretching people out, getting them worn out, uh, running those 240, 250-pound running backs of people. Yeah, you know, obviously the the quarterback position is probably the 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 hottest talk around of anywhere, and you know it doesn't surprise me that that you know there's some nervousness by the coaching staff of, of throwing a, a, a true freshman out there. I mean, how many true freshmen you know play at an elite level their 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 first year? I mean, you know, even Manziel, Dy, a lot, lot, lot of a lot of great quarterbacks that we've seen need a year to develop. And, but Longhorn, you know, as, as myself and many others, we're just desperate to have a decent quarterback play. Um, so, on your, in your view, how is this quarterback thing going to uh, play out? You know, Rod seemed to think that, that, that Bouchelle's going to be the guy and, and Swoops is going to basically do his, you know, his package. Um, uh, you know, I think everybody's guessing, but, I mean, I mean the risk for – for Charlie Strong to, to throw swoops out there. And I'm sure that the leash would be very short, but, man, if you get down 14 nothing or 21 nothing, and swoops has a couple turnovers, I, I just don't know how he can recover. I mean, I, I think it would just be a death blow. I mean, I know it's a long season. You don't want to be hyperbole. But, man, I think Longhorn fans as a whole are, are just delicate right now. So what's your thoughts on the quarterback position? Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that the Texas fans are, are pretty delicate there. There's certainly been an incredible amount of trauma since Cole McCoy went down in the 2009 uh, national championship game in early 2010. That's something, you know, closing in on, on seven years ago now, and, and Texas really hasn't been able to find any answers in that time. Um, I certainly came into fall, fall camp, as many people did, fully expecting that, um, you know, Shane Bouchelle would win the starting job pretty quickly, and he would be named the starter, as, you know, Charlie Strong was, was planning to do with, with one of the quarterbacks, and you know, that hasn't happened. There's been, you know, the, the report from Orange Blood that, that set the Longhorn interwebs ablaze uh, closing in on three weeks ago now where that said that there are some people, you know, around the building who, who thought that Swoops was ahead. Um, you know, most of the things that have been coming out of the program that have been pretty similar to that, um, I, would, I would say that, you know, I think there is a certain amount of risk in, in going with Swoops and, you know, having things fall apart quickly. But, I think it's easy to make too much of, of who really starts the game. It could be that they start swoops in the game and, and they want to have um, a very heavy run package with them in order to slow things down. Um, you know, it's also the case that, that Shane Bouchelle is a little bit on the small side. We saw that interception that he threw to Malik Jefferson in practice on an out route that got jumped, um, you know, because the pocket got collapsed a little bit and then the ball wasn't on time and, and Shane was kind of drifting in the pocket a little bit. Um, so that's definitely a concern with him as well. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say, you know, what's happening, you know, what Charlie Strong is thinking, what's going on, you know, behind the, th- the scenes. I think, you know, a lot of people have, have given up on Tyrone Swoops, and I, I certainly think that's understandable, but I also don't think it's, it's out of the question that he's made some fairly significant strides. We've seen him do some pretty good things in practice, and, you know, that, that experience having been there before, um, even if he hasn't, necessarily made the most of it I think he's kind of become a a little bit of a different player now since he had uh, the 18-wheeler package and I think that's helped his confidence and you know his ease with the game in a lot of different ways and I think it's kind of easy to forget that you know Swoops was a guy who led Texas to that win over Baylor and you know the Bears were certainly depleted at the quarterback position but the Longhorns were really beat up too I think they're missing probably seven or eight starters in that game including you know Malik Jefferson, Hassan Ridgeway, Deontay Foreman 
just a host of guys, and, you know, Swoops who led that team to the victory. So, you know, I think maybe people are underestimating him a little bit right now. Yeah, that's what I said right before you came on is regardless of who the quarterback is, you know, three things are, are, are you know, have improved. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Foreman and, and, and Warren, I mean, we haven't had running backs like that um, in, in some time. There's no doubt that the offensive line has improved. And, and then I was saying, too, is the biggest improvement is going to be is we're, we're going to have we're going to have good receivers at every position, and if they do get in trouble, there are going to be times they can throw it up, and a Colin Johnson or a Burt or you know even a Hurd is going to go get the ball and, and make a play where before it may have been an interception or just a terrible looking pass. So you know, and, and Swoops, everything that's happened to him obviously hadn't been his been his you know been his fault. I mean, he's played behind a you know horrible offensive line. He's had no talent at receiver. And then obviously different different offensive coordinators and, and you know different systems. So I'm not blaming it all on him, but you know when those lights come on, I've seen uh, I've seen some slow throws, slow progressions, his big throwing motion. Yeah, he can throw it 100 yards, but but hell, he may throw it 100 yards the opposite direction sometimes too. But I I I, I, I mean I need we all want him to succeed. So uh, you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna know Sunday night what it's gonna look like. It's gonna be real interesting for sure. Um, let's talk about some of the freshman defensive linemen. Uh, I think a lot of them are going to play. Um, you know, Jordan Elliott, uh, you know, got a, caught a lot of grief the way he handled recruiting, you know, uh, you know, commit, decommit, decommit. But, I mean, obviously what we're seeing now is why so many people wanted him. Um, obviously, the, I mean, he's a hard worker. He's been a workout beast all season. I look for him to be in the rotation. Wilburn. Um, you know, it's unfortunate Daniels has been out most of camp, so I don't look him for him to contribute early. But how do you see this um, the defensive line, freshman defensive lineman getting into the rotation? I think there's going to be three of them who play. Texas obviously only goes three deep uh, scholarship defensive linemen right now, so you know they really can't afford any injuries to those guys like Paul Boyette and Prince Ford and Chris Nelson. Uh, Boyette in particular, I think, is the most important guy. Uh, Jordan Elliott, you know, I think by by most accounts and DeAndre Christmas are the two guys that are going to get the first look um, kind of at the uh, the three-technique spot. And I think Wilbon could play an important role inside at the nose tackle. He's a guy who's 330 pounds, uh, very strong, has, uh, you know, really beefy lower body, uh, can anchor pretty well. And he was a guy that, that showed a lot of improvement as a senior. I was really impressed by that. Uh, flashed some better quickness than he had in the past. Played with really excellent pad level and, and a lot of the clips that made a senior highlight reel. Um, you know, Jordan Elliott, as you mentioned, a guy that, you know, ran a 4-3-5 shuttle at a Nike event. You know, that's hand time, so they might have been off a little bit. But that kind of gives you some perspective on just how much lateral quickness he has, which is really remarkable for a big guy. He's worked hard in the offseason. He's, uh, I think they list him at 318 pounds. You wouldn't really guess it looking at him. You know, that's what uh, everybody likes to see. Um, DeAndre Christmas is a guy that um, has really come on. Uh, Elliott had a very good junior year, kind of fell off as a senior. I'm not sure if he was maybe dealing with some injuries and stuff like that. But um, Christmas had to sit out after he transferred from St. Augustine, so he was a little bit late getting on the radar. Uh, Really blew up as a senior, had good film. He's a guy that I think can really show a lot of improvement in his first few weeks at Texas, and, and there's been some buzz about that. So I think he and, and Elliot will trade off there. I think Texas probably wants to get about five to ten snaps from both of those guys a game, and certainly hard to, to contribute as a freshman in the trenches. Even Malcolm Brown didn't have a great freshman year in terms of stats. Uh, so uh-huh. you know, I think everybody has to kind of measure their expectations for those guys. 
but they're going to be on the field. And, and I think both of those guys, Chris Smith and Elliott, will flash at times for the horns this year. Yeah. Matt, go ahead. Um, just sticking with the defense, and I let's go back to the backfield, defensive backfield. I know uh, Rod, when we talked with him, uh, mentioned the back seven being the strength. I think based on what you said, especially with depth, uh, that's maybe they're the best by default just because we don't have a whole lot of bodies up front. But uh, what do you think about – I know, like, online on the message boards, there's a lot of arguments about uh, – What's our what's our strength at cornerback? Who's our best defensive back? Which I think is a great discussion to have to have because it means we got a lot of talent back there. But uh, just give us a read on on what you see, like who's going to potentially stand out uh, in in the backfield. Yeah, I think the number one guy in the secondary for Texas right now is Devontae Davis. I think that was a little uh-huh. bit unexpected. He wasn't quite as hyped as, as Holden Hill and Chris Boyd when he came into the program last year, but. Those South Florida guys, man, sometimes they just have a lot of upside that isn't always really apparent on film. He has great instincts. In practice film, you always see him knocking away passes. Preseason All-Big 12, I think that's very legitimate. Um, I think Holden Hill probably after that is a guy that's going to lock down the corner position opposite from Davis. I think he's going to show a lot of improvement. Really, you know, a lot of the discussion ends up being at safety you know, kind of held down by a couple older guys and, and Dylan Haynes, who had rough moments last year. Jason Hall, who had some of his own rough moments. He hasn't really improved enough since his freshman year. He's up to about uh, 219 pounds, I think, website. Really big for his safety. Um, he was a guy that Haynes had to align last year, which is really disappointing for an older player. He needs to work on that. He's getting pushed by Deshaun Elliott. He's a guy that everybody likes for his big hitting ability. Um, you know, earned that nickname, the Kraken, in high school. Showed it in the spring game. I think he's the only guy that I've ever seen put a big lick on Chris Warren. I'm not sure there's very many guys who ever have at any time in any place. So he's a big hitter. Charlie Strong really talked this week about how he needs to make sure that he keeps everything in front of him. I think he's one of those guys where he sees stuff happening in front of him and, and he really wants to come downhill and, and lay big hits on people. But he can't afford to give up the big plays over the top. Um, Haynes is a guy who's kind of the security blanket for the staff. So there's disappointing things that happened, like in the scrimmage last weekend. He got beat on what looked like a, a, a corner route by Jake Elliott or Jake Oliver. I'm sorry, beat pretty badly actually. Which you know, Jake Oliver has never been known as a guy who has a lot of speed. Um, so there certainly are some athletic liabilities for Haynes. He gets a little prickly when he mentioned that because he sees, you know, part of that athleticism as as a film study and being able to read things that are going on and get a jump on things. And he, he certainly can do that in direct secondary. Uh, but I think we're definitely going to see Brandon Jones see some playing time. Uh, he's a guy that Charlie Strong thinks very highly of, has all the tools. Um, he's smart. He's a hard worker. He won one of the Battle of the Belts this summer. He's in excellent physical shape. And, you know, I think Elliott and, and um, Jones are, are definitely the fan favorites there. Um, there there's going to be some growing pains with them continually. And, um, so I think as the season goes along, the best-case scenario is definitely for those guys to take more and more playing time away from the older players. Um, whether that happens remains to be seen, but um, that's something that I imagine um, behind the scenes uh, Strong and Bedford are also hoping for. Yeah, that was the player I was getting ready to bring up, Brandon Jones. I'm, I'm glad you did. And, you know, um, you know, if, if some Longhorn fans out there are, you know, curious of what a – a big-time prospect goes through during the recruiting process. I'd like to thank our friends for Tex Ags making an awesome video for us, but go check that out. So um, 
you know, awesome to see what a kid goes through um, in recruiting. But uh, just wanted to make sure Billy got their props on the awesome video they produced over there in Texas. But, but um, you know, I always want to give Mike. credit where credit is due. We always want to give credit where credit is due for awesome production. So um, let's talk about Malik a little bit, you know. Uh, you know, Malik, everybody loves him. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the face of our, our program right now, great ambassador. Uh, but, but I think he's going to be a great, great player uh, before it's all said and done. But has has Lena's fans, the media, and everybody has built him up? The expectation is so great that regardless of what he does, people are going to feel like he didn't reach his ability. I mean, have we done that really to him? I, mean, I think in some way we've done him a disservice that we've, we've built him up that there's no way that he could get to wherever everybody thinks he's going to be. Am I wrong? I think maybe people have overestimated in some ways the season that he had last year. There were definitely mm-hmm. some, some excellent moments that he had, um, you know, screaming off the edge to beat Orlando Brown in the Oklahoma game to get that big sack. Kind of shows you some yeah. of that natural pass rushing ability. Uh, some of those big hits against Notre Dame. I think what really happened to Jefferson, um, you know, he had that weird stomach ailment starting in the Kansas State right. game that, that really plagued him for a lot of the season. As soon as he finally appeared to get better from that, he went down with the ankle injury against Texas Tech, didn't play much, uh, missed the season finale against Baylor. So he was a guy that I think because of those physical issues, um, ESPN wrote a nice piece on him, and and they said that, you know, just the losing was taking a toll on him, and and that may have contributed to whatever was going on with his stomach uh, ailment. Uh So I, I think what was unfortunate about his freshman season was the trajectory that you would expect from someone like Malik um, you know, who's willing to work so hard at the game, who's a quick learner, was that there wasn't really that growth curve that you would expect from him. Strong said that he's gotten bigger and faster. Uh, Jefferson said that he, he's learning to, to slow down a little bit and, and play within his base so he's not quite leaning so much. But he's a guy that, you know, didn't really play the, the middle linebacker position. He was an edge guy in high school. Really had a tough time dealing with beating blocks last season. His fundamentals were pretty poor wasn't very successful at it. And so that's something that he's going to have to get a lot better at this year. You see when he can run sideline from sideline, really flashes that speed. He can crash down uh-huh. from the backside. Uh, but this year he's really going to have to work on becoming a true middle linebacker. And I think the coaches are, are um, very quick to try to take pressure away from him and, and note how much of a team game it is. But I think the expectations that, that Texas fans have are, are a little bit outside and um, you know, everybody loves him uh, for very good reasons, but he's a guy who does have to show quite a bit of growth this year to live up to those preseason Big 12 Player of the Year, uh, Defensive Player of the Year honors that were bestowed upon him in, G- in July. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Like I said, there's no better face or ambassador for our program right now. I mean, he, I mean, he's just an outstanding young man. But before we let you go, uh, let's talk about our, our newest. Um, Kid to get to um, get to camp. Everybody was on pins and needles. Um, of course, that's Eric Fowler. Um, I mean, for a while there, he was out, he was in, he was out, he was in. Uh, nobody knew what was going to happen, but needless to say, he did get in. Um, you know, something went positive finally for us because we've seen how these things can can go bad pretty quick um, when you've got clearing house and all those issues. I mean, he's missed so much camp. Uh, I think he, I, I think he's just an incredible athlete and you know next year the year after is going to be something to watch but I guess I've had to temper my expectations now uh you know maybe by mid-season but if if Eric is able to get in shape and get on the field what does he bring to our defense 
he brings a really high motor and he brings a lot of that. Uh, going back to his eligibility saga, uh, man, I mean, I haven't seen anything that crazy since hell, <laughs> last year with Devo. Yeah, not really very yeah. long. Fortunately, uh, this one had a, had a better outcome. He's a guy who's surprisingly is working at inside linebacker right now. Everybody kind of pegged him for that Fox M position, which suddenly is a little bit crowded. Got Nation Hughes there. Brecken Hager made the move. Uh, Malcolm Roach even starting out there. So uh, some pretty good depth at the Fox M position, and, and Hager and Roach are both expected to play. So Texas opt- opting to move Fowler uh, you know, back to the second level definitively. A little bit short at the inside linebacker position beside Malik. Uh, Tim Cole, you know, is a guy that is a great leader, a good teammate, great in the locker room, uh, not really a guy that you want to have on the field in, in crucial moments, um, unfortunately. So, you know, Fowler is a guy that um, I think the decision that the staff has to make with him is whether they can keep him engaged with the redshirt season or if he needs to get on the field to really keep his, his head in the books and, and his head in the position room and, and just really keep him focused. Um, he's a guy that I think eventually will end up back at the Fox end position unless he really shows an incredible aptitude uh, to play inside there at inside linebacker. Uh, there's a clip that's been going around since he got in. That's him going against Greg Little last year at the opening, and you really yeah. see him uh, use a use a speed move and get Little really reaching and leaning and off balance. And then uh, Fowler just really leaning into him, knocking him backwards, uh, and it ends up pancaking him over the dummy. So just a really incredible play there. You know, Greg Little, number three prospect in the country, number one offensive tackle, you know, has all the tools to be, you know, a top ten NFL pick in, in three or four years. And I would be really surprised if, if he doesn't end up uh, fulfilling that. And so, you know, kind of an incredible flash of the potential that, that Fowler has there. And, you know, he's a guy to watch. I'm not sure that he's going to have a huge impact this year. Uh, but I would look for him to maybe be a guy who could get unleashed on special teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I wish this thing would have gotten cleared up, you know, sooner. Like I said, he would have, you know, been able to get on campus sooner. But, yeah, I'm glad to have him because I, I think his upside is going to be tremendous. And uh, I can just imagine him and him and uh, Malik both coming in on the edge um, in a blitz um, with their speed and, and size. Um, there's going to be some fun times ahead for us. Well, Wes, I really appreciate you coming on again. Um, Look forward to seeing you this year. Um, um, hopefully you'll be out at some games. You're always welcome by the tailgate. And uh, like I said, we always appreciate you coming on. Definitely tell our listeners where they can read all your articles because I read every one you tweet out. I click through and, and read every single one of them, and it's always good stuff. So I would tell everybody else to do the same. So where can they find you? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'll definitely try to make it out of the tailgate if I can get away from my league manager duties for a bit this year. But if you're looking for my stuff, uh, www.burnorangenation.com. I'm on the Twitter, the Twitters at uh, SBN underscore W-E-S-C-O-T-T. So check me out there. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always fun. All right, man. We appreciate it. Have a good rest of the evening. Thank you. All right. Y'all be good. All right. All right. That's Wes Scott Evers for Burnt Orange Nation, um, helping us break down the offense, some good insight. Um, and there you go. That's a solid hour of good Longhorn information there, Matt. Um, anything in closing you want to add? Man, that was great. I feel uh, way more prepared for the start of the season now after listening to Westcott and to Rod. I uh, I appreciate their time being on and, and giving us the insight. I thought both guys definitely said some interesting stuff and and brought a lot of good information for our fans. So when we uh, take the field against Notre Dame, I think everybody that listened tonight 
will be uh, smarter for the for the hour they spent with us. Well, let me let me ask you a, 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 a tough question before we close out the show here in a couple minutes. And this is mm-hmm. a, the you know the question that I ponder and go back and forth. I mean, there, there's no doubt that, that strong in, in three years, uh, really two re- full recruiting classes, half of another, has has rebuilt the roster. Um, and we've got as much talent now back on, on, on the 40 acres that we've had, you know, since probably the 05, 06 seasons in there. Um, you know, there's no doubt he's made some mistakes hiring the offensive coordinator. He's made some game day decision, um, you know, mistakes. So with that said, let's say we go six and six, seven and five. Michelle gets hurt. There's some bad luck. But but we, we can see – well, you know what? If he gets the 2017 class now, the full roster is his, and we go from there. Well, I guess my question is, is, should Strong automatically get 2017 unless it just goes completely bad? Or, 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 or should he really be on the hot seat? Let's say we go 7-5. and five. Uh, Bouchelle started every game. Swoops played some. We go 7-5. and five. We had a couple blowouts. We go to a bowl. We, you know, we go 8-5. We go and five. Should he be fired? Or sixty-six. I mean, do you have a cutoff, or are you more in? I'm, I'm giving him 2017. What, what are your thoughts on just all those scenarios? Well, I, you know, I'd be really interested to know what outsiders outside of the state, you know, let's say people from, I'd say Michigan would be a great example because I'm thinking of like Brady yeah. Oak at Michigan. You know, he obviously yeah. recruited well because Harbaugh was able to come in and had a pretty damn good team last year. I mean, Harbaugh did a great job. Don't get me wrong, but he had talent. But I think Hoke, I mean, as an outsider for Michigan, I've looked at Hoke as kind of a clown. I mean, he didn't really yeah. represent – I didn't think he represented Michigan well. There were some fiascos there. And 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 I think that that is what really kills a coach like in three years, right? If you just look like you don't know what the hell you're doing or you make horrible game day decisions, things like that. So Strong has not done that. We've had some bad outcomes, and, and definitely the Sean Watson thing was a mistake, and he would probably say that if you, you know, had a beer with him off the record. Um, but I don't think he's really – it's a weird situation because I don't think looking right yeah. now, he's he's done anything to, like, embarrass the school, you know, or do anything like that. Uh, some of the outcomes right. are embarrassing. So I would say the catastrophic scenario is the Sterling Gilbert hire turns out to be – not good. This guy wasn't really the, you know, he wasn't really the brains behind the Montgomery Bryles offense, and it was kind of an imposter, and it doesn't work. And yeah. then I think the, 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 you know, obviously Texas fans would be mad, but I think everybody would kind of see this as failed. Um, but if we look like we're growing, and uh, you know, I think you nailed it earlier when you said you just you can't have any more twenty-four nothings to Iowa State. I mean, or twenty-three nothing yeah. to Kansas State, which was virtually the same time of the year last year or two years ago. Yeah. I think if you avoid the embarrassing, you know, beatdowns to lesser teams and and show some of this young talent, then I don't see how you get rid of them. I think the worst scenario to me is a scenario in which. Uh, you're in that seven and five range where you look kind of good. Maybe you knocked off TCU at the end of the year, or somebody you got another big win like an OU or a Baylor, and A and M's floundering, and Herman is sitting there, and boosters get itchy fingers because they don't want Herman to go to A and M. To me, that's the most idiotic approach to this. But I could see boosters taking that emotional yeah. response of, "Well, let's just jump and get this guy so they don't get him," because you know I. 
I just think that's the wrong way to make that decision. That to me is where I'm, that's what I'm most worried about. Because if he falls on his face and everything falls apart, you just got to do what you got to do. Uh, what yeah. I'd hate to see is where we're on that fence and then you make the decision just because some other school down the road might get another coach. And by the way, that school isn't even in our conference anymore. So you don't have to go against him. Yeah, I, I think that is a uh, a tremendous and invalid point. Making a, a crazy decision based on a guy that you may may turn out to be good, and your so-called old rival or whatever may get them. So you you react to that situation. I think that's yeah. I, I would agree. You know, yeah. Versus the part where you said, yeah, he just falls on his face. We're not improving. It just looks bad. It just didn't work, you know, shake hands and move on is a whole different scenario. Yeah, I, I think I'm under the belief that if, if we're 7-5, 8-4, and, 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 and we did, like you said, we're not just embarrassed, I, I, I've almost convinced myself I'm okay to go to 2017. But like you say, where I, where I get on that fence is if we're 7-5 and five and we had a 34 nothing. Uh, we have we have a game where we kick off in the first half again, and we kick off in the second half again. I mean, you know, you start to see real blunders. Sterling Gilbert, you know, then you start to thinking, damn. I mean, do we go to year four, year five? How long do we go down this road before, you know, you know, b- 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 before it is at a point of no return? But you know, back to your hope point uh, with, with Harbaugh, regardless of where it ends, year three, year four, or he goes on and has a great ten-year career. If it does end in year three or year four, uh, whoever takes over is going to have a much better roster situation than, oh, yeah. than when Strong took over. There's no doubt. And, I, and that's why I'm, I'm still willing to give him time because I, I, I 100% realize we went over it last year. We broke down the whole roster, what was left and what was gone, and it was a complete crap show. I mean, our talent, and it was just, I mean, it was bad. Uh, now, that doesn't excuse. Uh, the mistake strong, like what I opened up with Rod about the quarterback position. He he could have solved that. We shouldn't be. We still should not be in the situation where Swoops are a true freshman. I mean, we could have a redshirt freshman or a guy with two years experience that had he not got Kay Loxley, who's now going to be a wide receiver. You know, I remember when he when he first got hired, and they were trying to you know they wanted to keep Hurd on board because he was kind of the the, the, the face of the of, of the recruiting class, and they didn't want it to fall apart, but there was already rumblings right after uh, the, the, the when they watched film of him that there were reports or whatever that Strong probably wouldn't even have never recruited him as a quarterback. So Strong knew that back then. He should have done all he could to get a quarterback. You know, I know we can't relive it now. We're here. The season starts next week, and we've got to roll with it. So what I'm saying, though, if he was dealt a bad hand, there's no doubt about it. It was probably far worse than he knew about it with all the kids he had to kick off the poor talent. But he's also made some poor mistakes, but I applaud him for rebuilding the roster. So I guess Mike, where I'm Mike, at I, today, I think, um, we're going to have to see where the season goes before I can really say. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you'll enjoy this point. But, uh, I mean, I believe it was uh, you, Big Mike, who at the very start of the Charlie Strong era – as we were all filled with excitement, uh, you were the one that said, if he doesn't find a quarterback, he isn't going to be around for a full recruiting cycle. And, I mean, let's hope yeah. that that doesn't come to be true, but it absolutely could be true. If, you know, Bouchelle just, I mean, doesn't look like this will happen, but if, if you know, we th- we all thought Hurd was the savior after the Cal game, and that changed really yeah. quickly. Uh, if later in the year it looks like Bouchelle's not the guy, 
and Swoops is gone no matter what next year, and now you got another situation where you got no quarterback coming into 2017, then it's like, okay, how many years are we going to keep doing this? This is ludicrous. Right. Uh, so I think that's a, a really key thing that you touched on at the beginning, and, and when you did that a few years back, I mean, you ran through what exactly we're going through right now. Is Even when you bring somebody on, you got to go through the growing pain. So you need, I mean, I, I think uh, Rod made a great point of all these quarterbacks that transfer all over the place now. You almost have free agency in college football. And to not go grab somebody like that, as, even just as an insurance policy. Now, a lot of those guys aren't going to come, I think, transfer unless they've got a guarantee because they're leaving a situation where they're holding the clipboard. They don't want to do it again. But I, I do think you could have found someone, maybe not one of the big studs, but somebody that could have stepped in and, and at least been an insurance policy for, for us last year or the year before. Well, I, I can tell you, I remember when I said that, yeah, I think the exact words were, if he doesn't solve this quarterback position, he ain't going to be around for it to be. And you know what? I will gladly be wrong. I, I will love to be wrong on that situation. I would much rather win. And that's why I said, as critical as I've been as strong, if he leads us to a, a, the playoffs in 2018, 19, man, People say, oh, you're going to have to eat crow. I'll eat crow all the way to my road trip to the national, to the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. I want, to, I want to win. People get caught up in, you know, you hate strong, you're a hater. No, I want to win. I don't care. If the, and, and this will be my last point, and we're going to go. And, and I posted this on a message board the other day. I like Coach Strong. I think he's – I like his, his values. I like what he brings. But I will never like Coach Strong – or any coach, Mac Brown, Tom Herman, Saban, whoever was here, I will never like that coach more than I love the University of Texas. So that, that's my real. I, I mean, the old, coaches come and go. The only constant is our university, and I'm going to put that above a coach. I'm not that emotionally attached to a coach. You know, I want them to succeed while they're here? Absolutely, we all do. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. So – with that said, Matt, tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to talk more sports on Twitter. Sure thing, at UT Tailgaters. No spaces, no hyphens, just UT Tailgaters. Um, I'm noticing my tweets per day are increasing as I'm warming up for football season. So, uh, yeah, follow and let's talk some football. Absolutely. We're getting close. Um, you know, your Giants are still kind of – Kind of tinkering there. My Astros look like they're yeah. about done. So yeah, I'm, I'm in full. I'm in full football mode for sure. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> listeners, I want to thank Rod Babers again for coming on. He's always great. Definitely want to thank Wes. I want to thank all our listeners. We'll be back next Wednesday. And guess what? It will be game week. We'll probably have somebody on to break down Notre Dame, and then me and Matt will probably go around um, the rest of the conference and give some predictions, and maybe even come up. We'll do our. We'll start our. Our first four, like we did last year in the playoffs, mm. and we'll do that all year. I thought that was pretty fun in our, our four every week, and it kind of changed. So that was a lot of fun. So, Longhorn fans, we always appreciate you listening. You can find me on Twitter at MBHornsFan. Remember, the eyes of Texas are upon you. Hook them. We'll see you next Wednesday. Here's some good old George Jones by request taking us out tonight. Get it, George. I you. My nights are in a bar room. Liquor was the only love I'd known. 
rescued me from reaching for the bottom And you brought me back from being too far gone You're as smooth as Tennessee whiskey You're as In all the same old places 